vintage sand. Hello, hello, hello! Here we are from steamy New York City with some steam heat. And we were just thinking to ourselves, we are Team Vintage Sand, of course. John Meyer, Michael Edmund, and your humble narrator, Josh Cabot. Um, having survived another month in, uh, in pandemic easing New York, we hope. And everything's open up. I just got my movie tickets to go see In the Heights. Uh, mm -hmm. When it opened, so I'm excited about that. My I've first already, time in a movie. You've I've been, already yeah. been. I've, I've joined the AMC uh, club where you get three movies a week for uh, $23 a month. What three movies a week right now? Right well, now, now I haven't. <laughs> but, even, but even if you ha uh, do three movies a month, can you, it takes can you see the same movie yep. three times? Yep. And there's no limits on it? You can, it, in it, other words, you, you, certain, it, certain films you can't go on like opening night and set? Nope, there's no limits. You can even go to IMAX if you want to, or, which I don't. Uh, they're, they're All desperate. right. Remember what Francis McDormand said at the end of the Oscars, everybody. Get back go to, to the, the movies. movies. I went to right. see a charming movie called Dream Horse last week with Tony Collette. Oh, and uh, Damian Lewis. And Tony Collette don't usually happen in well, the this, same sentence this for was, me. But. This was charming. <laughs> it was fun. It was a true story. And... Uh, I just wanted to get out to the movies. Yeah, just to be there. I can't wait. It's been, it'll be 15 months since I've last been to and a movie theater. I went so. to the film forum uh, last weekend, too, to see this movie called The Pool. It was a French movie from the uh, oh, 60s. Oh, from, from 69. Yeah, yeah. Alain Delon and Rami Schneider. With a director who, I've never heard of. I've never heard of him either. I can't remember the director. It was very good, very erotic, considering there wasn't any, you know, real nudity in it, but it was... Uh, both those people, uh, Delon and Schneider, were just gorgeous people oh, to yeah. watch. Oh, Schneider. Ooh. Oh, I know. Oh, Schneider. <laughs> All right. So uh, we are here for, wait for it, hang on to your seats, our 30th, 3 it's our 30th episode. Can you imagine? And they said it would never last. And here we are with episode 30. Next episode is going to be, I have to be our Baskin Robbins episode 30 <laughs> wonderful episodes <laughs> so and we're gonna we, that's gonna be a fun one but you know uh, those who are longtime fans of us know that way back in the before times we did an episode that's number 11 for those of you playing along at home called hidden gems where we each chose one film that we thought had um kind of been unfairly overlooked by time and the madden crowd so uh we are uh ready after some long long episodes the last five or six that we've done to uh to come back to that um just to uh refresh memory um, John's choice for that one was uh, the late great Bertrand Tavernier's uh, story of filmmaking in occupied France, Safe Conduct. Michael got his Julie Christian naturally and did uh, Afterglow by the criminally forgotten Alan Rudolph. Yes. All right, go check out the early Alan Rudolph, especially. All right, and I went all full cocaine mad genius out and. Uh, and chose Dennis Hopper's career-ending, well, that part of his career anyway, uh, career-ending the last I, movie from I think from you 1971. chose that just to try to start a fight. Oh, my God, no. I just, I, <laughs> it's the kind of movie that, it's interesting. You know, I'm, I'm running a virtual film society, and we, I show, I'm doing Hollywood New Wave, so I showed King of Marvin Gardens last mm -hmm. week. 
And it, which is, I haven't seen it in a long oh, time. Oh, I like it. It's yeah. really good. I like it better yeah. than Five Easy Pieces. And people, I do. I think I do, too. And I read the review of it that said, and I feel this way about the last movie, too, that it's a movie that you want to get up and leave about five different times, but after it's over and you left, you want to come back and see it again because it kind of stays with you. Yeah. And, yeah. and that, for me, was the last movie. So I'm standing by that one, John. I was sorry it's about still, that. It's still better than Easy Rider. Oh, ouch. <laughs> It's so hard to tell what Michael's really thinking. You never know. It gives us no vision. All right, so at the time, we promised slash threatened to do another round. So here we are, episode 330, Hidden Gems Volume 2, and we've selected some tasty nuggets, uh, which are a little hard to find, but worth the effort. So um, we will go around. John, let's kick it off with you. Okay. My choice is Wonder Boys. Uh, Wonder Boys was released in February, February 25th, 2000. It's already 21 years old. I can't and, believe and, it. And, and who's releasing a movie in February? Th that's, that's, well, I mean, I, 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 I don't understand why they released it then, because that's usually, it's after award season. It's, it's it, it actually was released the week after the Academy Award yeah, nom I, nominations I, I came out. I, I, and I just, Paramount I, was pushing uh, their nominees. Yeah. Um, and that's... That's usually a time of year from, say, after the awards to, say, Memorial Day weekend that you kind of dump your movies that you don't think are going to do too well or you've decided aren't very good or the small independent films. Right. And um, they just, they really neglected it. They didn't promote it well. Um, and the movie, the movie bombed. Even with Michael Douglas. Yes, I mean, even with Michael Douglas. A lot of people have made a big deal about the poster at the time, said that it was a turnoff for people. I, I don't think that was really it. I think it had a lot to do with the fact they just didn't really do much promotion work for it they at didn't. all. Um, and reviews were generally good. There were some negative reviews. The Times gave it a bad review. Did they? A.O. Scott did not like it. Well, he liked A.I., so that yes, should I tell know. you everything you know about Tony well. Scott. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But anyway, and then it was re-released November 8th, 2000, and it still bombed. Wow. Although it won the Oscar for the Dylan song. Yes. Yeah, and it was nominated for Best Screenplay yes. and for Dee Dee Allen's uh, Film Editing. Film Editing. Interesting. Because, film and, and that song, by the way, Things Have Changed, is one of my favorite late period Dylan songs. I That's a good song. And, and also, song. Michael Douglas won the LA Film Critics Award. Yes, they did actor. win some other, some other awards. But Interesting. Let's, let's round out the cast. So, Michael Douglas, Francis McDormand, Robert Downey Jr., Tobey Maguire, Katie Holmes, Rip Torn as Q. Q! <laughs> And Richard Thomas and Philip Bosco is a small part, but it's it's a key role. He was good in it. Right. Yeah, his, he's a very his, good his role. Everybody was, father. Yeah. Everybody yes. was good in it. Everybody. Yeah, every, yes. Even down Katie Holmes was good in it. Katie Holmes was shot. is a down, really, really down to the smallest part. Everybody in it is very good. The only bad thing she did really was to marry what's his face. <laughs> he who shall he not be named. He loves her. He loves her. We can, right, exactly. He's our Voldemort. <laughs> right. We cannot screenplay, say his name. Screenplay. <laughs> Based uh, screenplay by Steve Clevis of Harry Potter fame, right? Based on the book by Michael Chabon. I'm not exactly sure how we pronounce his name. Cinematography by Dante Spinati, and edited by the one and only Dee Dee Allen, one of the greatest film editors of all time. Yeah, uh, look her up, and you'll see the list she has. It's quite impressive. Dee Dee Allen, yes. So Michael Douglas plays author Grady Tripp, who is a professor who teaches creative writing at an unnamed university somewhere around Pittsburgh. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be University of. Yeah, they never say. They never say. 
but it de- definitely has it has a great college town ambiance. It was shot entirely yeah. in Pittsburgh. Yes, I know. yes, I know. His first novel was a great success, and his publisher, played by Robert Downey Jr., has come to visit him for an annual university event for writers, and has been anxiously awaiting for Grady's second novel for several years. The arsonist's daughter. Yeah. To yes. complicate things, Grady has been having an affair with the university chancellor, played by Frances McDormand, who is also the wife of the head of the English department, played by Richard Thomas, who happens to be obsessed with Joe DiMaggio and collects sports memorabilia. Grady also likes to smoke marijuana all the time. All the time. <laughs> and then there's the loner, rather maladjusted, but talented student in his class, James Lear, played by Toby Maguire. James Lear is a character that would probably fit in very well in our podcast. He loves older movies. Obsessed with older movies, right. And is quite knowledgeable, and he's also a great liar. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what are you saying, John? <laughs> well, he's entertaining. Okay. He can spin a tail. <laughs> Katie Holmes is also a student in Michael Douglas's class who happens to be renting a room in Grady's house and has a crush on him. There's so many great moments in the movie, and I don't want to tell people too much because I'll ruin it for them if they haven't seen it before, but I want to emphasize the fact that a lot of it is very, very funny. And it's sort of like a... A screwball comedy that has been slowed down to reveal more of the the character. Nicely put. Yeah, that's very smart. Yeah. So. And uh, my only complaint with the cast, I thought Downey was miscast. I thought that he that he was too young for that part. Oh, I because it feels like it's supposed to be like a grizzled agent, you know, Mm. someone who's really been through the mill and and ups and downs. And Downey, I mean, I love Downey as an actor, but he just felt a little. I really liked him in it, but but in the book, I think he was older. Yeah. Well, you said you read the book. Is he older in the book? He he feels older. I think so. Yeah. That kind of makes sense, but um, maybe because he was a name that was available, because it was around the time when he was having all his drug Drug problems. Yeah. But uh, they right. said that he was he was clean and, mm-hmm. and reliable throughout the whole shoot. Hmm. So. And uh, yeah, I, I, this is this it's it's a lovely, lovely portrait of academia of yeah, and it's yeah. also sort of in that eight and a half genre of blocked artistry. Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, blocked, but he's writing a novel. He is writing a second novel that is over 2,500 pages long, and he just can't seem to stop writing. Right, and that's one of my favorite lines Katie Holmes says to him. You didn't make any choices. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're always talking about choices in our class, and it seems like you just didn't make any choices, and then she makes a reference to his smoking pot all the time. Well, I... I um, but I just, I love the use of the weather. Yeah. Uh, yes. just, it's just the weather almost takes on a, it was almost like a character itself Yeah, and I love the part where it becomes sort of a road trip where he and Tobey Maguire are yeah. off together and they yeah. end up going to see breaking into the house of his uh, yeah. wife's uh, family yeah. I, that was lovely that yeah. whole scene was, was great no 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 it's just, it's, I just I cannot believe a movie that is so good and it's aged very well was just so neglected by that studio it's just what do you think about Hanson as a director? Mixed. Uh, he, I think I, he's a good director, but his movies are mixed, and it has a lot to do with whoever's doing the screenplay or whatever yeah. project I, he yeah, gets attached to. Yeah, I think. To. I mean, he did something as good as L- L.A. Confidential, which yeah. I think is lovely. Yeah, but yes, I agree. But that is Lana Turner. <laughs> 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 that is a wonderful film, and he also did Eight Mile, the the Eminem film, yes. which is shockingly good, 
but no, I didn't, didn't like, like it. No, I, I, I'm not that a huge Eminem fan, but I thought it was it was really well. Un- unfortunately, he had uh, early onset dementia. Right. That's yeah. Right. He yeah. stopped working quite a number of years before he died. Uh, it's Which very is sad. Very sad. Yeah. And I, I think it's one of Douglas's best performances. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh he's excellent in it. Well, yeah. I, and that's saying something. Yeah. Well, he's really excellent in it. I, as I and said, it's such a different role, too. He's not the kind of thing you usually see him in. As I said before, when we were talking in the necrology about Kirk Douglas, I prefer Michael Douglas to Kirk because I think he is a far more versatile actor and far better with humor. Than his father. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, mean, I think I might agree with I, that. I can't wait for the third season of the Cook, the Kaminsky method. Yeah. Which I have not seen. Is that worth Oh my god. Oh yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay, guys. Oh Becky. yeah. He's easy now. I thought you, I thought you had seen it. <laughs> Give the soon. boy some room to breathe here. Oh. <laughs> Damn. Shame on you. Yeah. I've been shunned by my Amish friends here. That's well, yeah. <laughs> All right. I'll, I guess I'll. <laughs> Maybe I'll watch it over it's, Memorial Day so yeah. you guys will talk to me again. <laughs> I'm not sure. Oh, man. <laughs> wow. The third, yeah, the third oh. season, the third and final season starts Friday. So. And I, I they're lo- short episodes. You can yeah, they're half hours. I, I love the choice of music. Yes. You know, there's Neil Young yeah. and Leonard oh, yeah. Cohen and, yeah. and, you know, in addition yeah. to the Dylan stuff. So I thought that was really good. And, then, and as I said, too, I there's so many moments in the movie that are going through my head that I love so much that are... That is sometimes you know revealing about the character, touching, and also very very funny. But if I I go into detail about them, I'm going to ruin the movie for someone who hasn't seen it. Right, exactly. <laughs> so we don't want to go too too far. But it's really interesting because I've been a fan of his since Mysteries of of Chabin, since Mysteries of Pittsburgh, yeah. and they have tried to uh, adapt the Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. Yeah, I w- who? Because that's a great book. Uh, the Cohen brothers were attached to the adaptation of my favorite book of his, which was the Yiddish Policeman's Union. Have you guys read that? I have. No. Oh, God, God, I, I love that. But I read book. Mysteries of Pittsburgh, and that was not a good movie. Did they make? They made a movie out of it. I'm Ooh. pretty sure. Yeah. And and they also, I think, were trying to make a movie out of his last great book, which is Telegraph Avenue, which I also recommend as a book. Y- Yiddish Policeman's Union is amazing. But there's something kind of unfilmable about Chabin. I mean, and and the one of the things about Wonder Boys is that there's a lot of voiceover narration. Yeah. So it yeah. feels. Yeah. Oh, well, it works in the movie. There's not a lot. I, I'm, I'm guessing they probably cut back on what was originally in the book. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. And yeah. it's interesting now that Chabin has turned his hand to television. He is now the showrunner uh, for Star Trek Picard. Oh. Uh, he's always been a Star Trek fan and a pop culture guy, so now he, he was the showrunner. I don't know if he's doing the second season, but he did the first season, which was pretty solid. So. Wasn't he also involved in that uh, show about the two cops, late female cops, um, Tony Collette and Merrick Weaver, which, of course, the name I can't... I thought for no. some reason he was involved in that. Somehow. Possibly, yeah, no, he's... Uh, Fact checker. I, I just can't remember the name of it, of course. Oh, fat checker! Oh, keep saying, don't bring up names. <laughs> I may be wrong. It's may, internal strife here at Team Vintage Sam. I may be wrong on this, but I thought I saw his name attached You're to it. You're tearing me apart, Michael. And I love the show. I just can't remember the name of it. <laughs> all right. That's so, all right. um... Yeah, I, and, and I, but I, in the end, without giving anything away, I mean, he kind of grows up. 
Yes. In, oh, yeah. If, yeah. if you believe well, that... Well, he finally makes some choices. Right. And he finally learns to care about and genuinely care about and think about other people, which is yeah. the definition of moving from childhood to adulthood, which some of us don't hit till our 40s and yeah. some of us never hit. And uh, I, I, it was totally believable. He just, you know, for whatever uh, is loose about the film, he completely nails it down and anchors it. Yeah. I loved him in this. Yeah, so, I, 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 did. I even like Tobey Maguire, who I normally find kind of a bland actor. I, he, I liked him as Spider-Man, believe it or yeah. not, in the Sam Raimi films. I thought yes. he was good. You know, I yeah. think he's retired. Did he really? Well, I, I looked him up, and he hasn't made a film in seven years. It's interesting. Or he no one wants somebody to work off. with him anymore. I've heard he's Is not, he difficult? Uh, that's what I've heard. The last oh. thing I remember seeing him in was his Nick in uh, Gatsby. In he was, no, he uh, was in a movie about Bobby Fischer. Oh, it wasn't searching for Bobby Fisher either. It was uh, he was actually playing Bobby Fisher, and it wasn't very good. Well, I refuse to watch anything about chess if it doesn't have Anya Taylor Joy in it. So, oh, well, that's that's reasonable. <laughs> she, she's awesome. Ah, interesting. Uh-huh. Michael Michael Chabon did uh, children's books too. Yeah. Oh. He's 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 done nonfiction. He's yeah. done he's done about everything. He. I'm sure he's done podcasts too. Although I don't know who'd be stupid enough to do podcasts. Yeah, <laughs> I have no respect for people. Total like waste of time. Do Jesus, come on, get over yourself. God. You really think people want to listen to what you have to say? I mean, mm. come on. <laughs> oh wait. So, um, so do we have a, a fact checker moment? So, we, what what was the show that Michael was talking about? I don't know. I don't see anything listed here. For I guess I'm, I'm probably wrong because it says for his television Star Trek short. Treks, unbelievable. Yes. Yeah, those are the tr- those unbelievable. Okay, right, Susanna. Was that? Uh, oh. oh, right. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Yes. 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 Huzzah! <laughs> unbelievable oh is an American true crime television miniseries starring Tony Collette, Merritt Weaver, and Caitlin Deaver. Yeah. Did you see it? No. Oh, it's really good. It was on for just a couple of years. No, just, just just one seven episodes. Oh. It was it was released on Netflix. Yeah, oh, it's probably still on. Yeah, it's it's really it's grim. Very little humor, but it was. Uh, oh well, I can't wait to see that. No, it, <laughs> yes, it's, sign it's, me it's, up. I mean, everything is, is going so well. <laughs> actually, worth watching, and both of them mm. were just superb. All right, so John, that's that's it for uh, for Wonder Boys. Yeah, I understand why you don't want to give yeah, away. Some I of the would, I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I I I can't wait to talk to someone who has not seen it, who's going to watch it recently because there's there's so much. I love the movie, really love it, and I loved it when I first saw it, and I remember watching it again not soon after I first saw it in the theater, and I still liked it a lot. And then watching it again, you know, recently for the podcast, I was like. Halfway through, I said, God, this is good. This is so good. I'm so glad I chose this movie. I loved it again. And then when I got home after work the next night, it's like, I'm going to watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> so, Michael, did you did you guys see The Sound Inside, the play with Mary Louise Parker? Yes. Right. So, and it, it sort of has a similar setup with the you know the 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 writing creative writing teacher yeah who uh, and she's got this very very talented student who may or may not be suicidal right right yeah, I, no. I didn't like it as much it was as okay. Wonder Boys no I, no I I, I told... thought the play was kind of yeah and that's Michael Shaben so I mean uh, so but he didn't write that did he no 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 <laughs> uh, Anthony yeah. Rapp wrote that I think yeah but I'll see anything with Mary Louise Parker oh. anyway I love her on stage well you, you, I take it you saw the original uh, How I Learned to Drive no. You never saw the original because she's it's being brought back. Oh, is it really with her? With her in it and um, mm-hmm. the co-star. 
Is he bringing up actors again? Yes. <laughs> David Morse. David yeah, Morse. David and they Morse. were in the original off-Broadway. It won the Pulitzer Prize, but now it's going to be uh, our Manhattan Theater Club is bringing it to Broadway. It was supposed to come in uh, 2020. I remember seeing her in Proof. That was the, yeah. the first time I saw her on stage. She's wonderful. Well, How I Learned to Drive was the, was the play that kind of made her famous. And uh, you definitely have to see it. All right. Because uh, she's, she's really, really I will see it. anything with her. Yeah. So I'm headed off in a slightly different direction. Um, one of the, as someone who is kind of from the 80s, um, one of the great mysteries of my years as a film goer is why Hollywood never seemed to have room for Bill Forsyth the Scottish director. And if you know Bill Forsyth, it's probably because of his biggest film. That, of course, was Local Hero, with Peter Riegert as the oilman who is sent by his company from Houston to go to northern Scotland and basically buy this town so they can, you know, drill off of it. And all kinds of lovely and offbeat and weird and sweet and interesting things happen there. And it is... One of Burt Lancaster's oh great performances. Oh my God, I He's, loved him in isn't it. Isn't he lovely in it? He, so good in it. McIntyre, what do you see there? <laughs> he was one of, for me, one of the great actors who started off as a pretty face, and just took risks in his work, yeah. and just got better and better and better. Yeah. And by the time he was in his seventies, he was doing things like Atlantic City, which he's absolutely brilliant in. And then local hero, and, and I love him in Field of Dreams. It's oh, a kind he's of a, wonderful! Oh, yeah, it's great. It's a maudlin part. But oh, I didn't. Well, no, it made so. me cry. That, me too. Oh, that's the only. I don't cry at the end when he plays catch with his dad. I cry when yeah. Burt Lancaster can't go back. Yes, you know, yeah. It, it, yeah. Archie Moonlight but Graham. I, I, and he took so much and risk in his work. And in, in the fifties, he did come back, Little Sheba. Right. He was miscast as Doc, but Shirley Booth repeated her Broadway role and won the Oscar. The same thing with Anna Magnani. He was miscast. In Rose, ta- in Rose yeah. Tattoo. Yeah. Anna Magnani did it. She won the Oscar. And he allowed these movies to be made under his own, you know. Right, he had a production company. Yeah, the right. ha- yeah Lancaster, right. Heck, and Marty. Seven Days in Marty, May, right? Yep. Is Marty the first movie? Yeah, that they I did? think so. Yeah. Which so I'm not that big a fan. Ah, of. I was on TV last night. I was yeah. watching some of it. I kind of I haven't seen it in a long time. I kind of liked it. Yeah, okay. I, I guess I should watch. It's it not again. a great movie. Yeah. Not a great movie. He, he annoys me. I still would have given the Oscar to Rebel Without a Cause that year, but wasn't even nominated. I know. No. I know. But we already did. Yes. Our oh, you mean Best Picture? Alternate Oscars for the fifties. Yeah, yes. See, that was, we did, that, we was, did that, one. that was the year I wouldn't pick anything. Yeah, I remember. That's right. Neither of you guys chose anything for yes. fifty-five. Foreign. Well, <laughs> oh, well, yeah, but we could have liked Actually, I could have gone with the Lady Killers. I forgot that that was 1955. So, and the and the other thing about Local Hero is that it's the first movie. He was smart enough to ask Mark Knopfler, my favorite guitarist in the world, the leader of Dire Straits and also a great solo artist, to do. That was the first soundtrack he did, and the soundtrack of Local Hero is just beautiful. And Knopfler yeah. went on to yeah. do... Uh, a couple of other Forsyth films, and also most famously the soundtrack to Princess Bride, which is just lovely. Um, so that's important. So I guess you kind of describe his comedy as whimsical, a touch of the surreal, and occasionally snarky and edgy, but for me at least, it never really edges over into preciousness. And you see that in the two films that led up to Local Hero, that sinking feeling about the guys who steal plumbing parts, which was adorable. I never saw that. And Gregory's Girl. Which was the first film that got a little bit of notice. Yeah, yeah. I, I was not a 
huge fan of Gregory's girl. It was, it was just too sweet. Yeah, it's well, that's the thing. It and, and he and, the, and Gregory got annoying, got on my nerves after a while. John Gordon Sinclair, yeah. whatever happened to him? And the and uh, then local hero, and he eventually came to America and made a film that we that I would talk about in another episode like this housekeeping? which is housekeeping no I wasn't crazy about that either well listen talk, we were talking about Michael Chabon try adopting, ma- uh, adapting Marilyn Robinson to, yeah um, I never read the book but I mean you can't and I love Christine Lottie she's wonderful but, in uh, it but he did one film in between Local Hero and Housekeeping, Housekeeping, his last of the Scottish films, and that is the film I'm going to talk about, which is Comfort and Joy, which came out in 84, and it is available for uh, free on YouTube, the whole movie in a pretty decent print, so um, you know you can watch it for nothing. Uh, I don't know what that says about the, the film. Um, it's about a morning DJ uh, in Glasgow. Uh, named Alan Bird, whose nickname is Dickie, so he's Dickie Bird. It's Dickie Bird Early Worm Show. Uh, and playing Dickie Bird is the wonderful character actor Bill Patterson. He was great. All right, who you will see, those of you who are fans of Fleabag, you will recognize him immediately as Fleabag's father. As That's Stevie right. As Bridge's father. That's right. Yeah, but you oh. know, you don't see him too much. And the rest of the cast... He works a lot, though, on television. Yes, British he's television. wonderful. Yeah. And the rest of the cast, English and Scottish actors who sort of became part of... Uh, Forsyth's troop when he was there. We open when his his girlfriend Madeline, who is just this you know wonderful misfit, crazy impulsive person, does all these wonderful things, and then impulsively says, "I'm leaving." She just packs up her stuff and leaves. And <laughs> that, and, was, and, that was and, 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 uh, bizarre. And she's like, "I meant to tell you for ages. I meant to tell you. I just never got around to it." <laughs> And, you're, and, you're, and he's so stunned that he actually helps her move. You know, he's packing yeah. up the boxes and helping her move. And so he's just a, you know, he's a lost soul, but he is a good man, and he just doesn't know what direction to take his life in. And he's driving along, and he sees an ice cream truck, and there's this beautiful girl in the ice cream truck. So he, it's the Mr. Bunny ice cream truck. So he follows the Mr. Bunny ice cream truck into the suburbs and buys an ice cream as a pretext for meeting this girl. And he talks to her, and he gets a, a 99, as they call it, a little ice cream cone with some raspberry sauce on it. And as he's, that's my favorite scene in the movie, as he's walking away for the, from the car, this gang of thugs pulls up and starts beating the crap out of the ice cream truck. They break the windows. They shatter everything. The people inside the truck are trying to defend themselves with raspberry sauce. That was a great moment. And 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 he comes back and he's like, "Are you okay? What's going on?" And it turns out that he kind of gets sucked into this ice cream war between the aforementioned Mr. Bunny and Mr. McCool. And what I love about Comfort and Joy, aside from its deadpan kind of humor, is that it is in its own way kind of like a typical gangster film in that it's about a product that's being sold and it's about territory and it's about unwritten rules yeah. and I won't give away too much but it turns out it's also about family mm. there's also it's well, also deeply involved typical mafia kind of gangster war and, and at one point Dickie says it's just so ridiculous it's ice cream and they're like what do, what do you do that's so important Mr. Dickie Bird <laughs> and, and you know this is their livelihood so you know you don't mess with it 
So things get worse and worse between Mr. Bunny and Mr. <laughs> McCool, and uh, and Alan takes a time on the radio to talk to warn Mr. Bunny that Mr. McCool's after him, and so everyone thinks he's lost his mind. And I love when he goes to the psychiatrist the that and tells a story about the, the breeches buoy that his boss had told. That's my story. I haven't written my book yet. That's my story. And that was <laughs> that was lovely. And in the end, um, a a sort of offhand impulsive suggestion from his best friend Colin's little daughter, I you know ice you know ice cream and chips gives him the idea that is going to bring the two sides of the Mr. Bunny, Mr. McCool war together and is also going to make him a good amount of money on the deal yeah. and is, and he's, he says, my life has been raspberry. I need it to be vanilla. I need to be a new flavor. And he ends, and it's just so low key yes. and lovely and the music, and it's also, so it's a gangster movie. It's a Christmas movie. And it's just the kind of comedy that you don't, see from too many other people but as i said when we were warming up if you guys if you either like forsyth or you don't it's that very quiet dry sweet humor and some i mean it really worked in local hero because they had the budget and the cast local hero was was marvelous my my, my problem and it was a slight problem uh was what i looked up the new york times review right afterwards because i uh, after i saw it because i thought why didn't I see this? And Canby did not like it. No. And well, he, yeah, but it was, no, I remember he didn't like it. It was the last line of the review that I kind of partly agree with. He says, comfort and joy doesn't slip on you, slip up on you. It almost slips away. Yeah, and I, can, I, can, I, I, I see it's, that. It's, it's a comedy that, again, you could say is more, much more character-driven because mm-hmm. it's really about him. Now that he's alone and he's... He's rather depressed and heartbroken, understandably. I mean, the shock he went through. He's trying to find a way to fill that hole, but then he starts to learn things about himself in that search. There is one thing I really, really love is that when he starts following that truck, I mean, it's the bunny, a rabbit, going through the tunnel, a rabbit chasing down the rabbit hole. It's Alice in Wonderland. Absolutely. It's perfect. I love when he goes to the Mr. Bunny factory and you see them recording the jingle. Oh, oh my God. Hello, folks. I love that. And the best line, for me, the whole movie is a setup for one line, is when Trevor, who runs Mr. Bunny, knows that that Alan is going to go see Mr. McCool. And he points to the sign on the truck and he says, you tell him, formerly Mr. Softy. Like that line is worth the whole movie. <laughs> but there were so many scenes in the movie that I did love. Um, I it's love. Charming. I love this. I love everything about when he's working. Yes, the radio. The, you the know, radio recording the commercials. The commercials. And, the fact that he, even though you didn't realize it until you know, twenty minutes into it, that he is a celebrity in this town. Oh, and that's the thing. After yeah, the guys, he's a minor celebrity. Minor. After the guys smash blasted. the ice cream truck out of nowhere, they yeah, go, "Hey, yeah, yeah. it's him! It's Sticky <laughs> Bird!" And they stop him to sign an autograph, autograph before they run away. Yeah, but but I love the scene in the hospital when his friends oh, with the old, with the old woman, lady who make an old lady happy. Yeah, yeah and it meant so much to her. Yep. his show, and she was just. And, and you could see this poor old that lady. Was, that was sad because it was. It sort was of sad, like that was her her only friend was, yeah. was him on the radio. And but she she glowed yeah. when you know. Yeah. And the and the final scene and it's not giving anything away, 
uh, in the radio station on Christmas Day. I love Tuck into my Christmas pudding. Oh, I yeah. love God that bless scene. Each and pretending that he was having a great time when it was just two people there. Lovely. But I, I just, I love that last well, he scene. He was promised a four-week vacation for working on Christmas Day. <laughs> well, and I, and, and I lo- you know, part of the reason I think we like it is because we are from the time of radio. Yes. I mean, you know, radio used to be really important to us. And by radio, I don't mean Sirius XM and 8,000 channels. I mean AM and FM. Mm -hmm. And we remember the FM stations that we grew up with, you know, here in the city. It was NEW and Yeah, it was was important. I know when I was in in high school and college, it was important. You listened to WNEW. For the music. Oh my God! Absolutely, and you know, on AM, you'd listen to you know, listen to CBS News, and I would go to sleep listening to Marv Albert call Knicks and Rangers yeah. games yes. on yeah. on. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, it was on NBC. Uh, it, it, it was on sixty six. Right. WNBC. Yep. And, you know, that time is long, long gone, but it's sort yes, of... Yes, he's foul, and it counts! <laughs> and, <laughs> or Marty Glickman with good, like Needix. <laughs> Love Needix. So, uh, the orange room. Uh, just, just a lovely, you know, low-key, very much a Christmas film, and as I said, very much a kind of a, a gangster film too. I love when Mr. McCool tries to send him a message like the horse's head in Godfather, except it's the only ice cream cones. So if anyone out there does know how to get ice cream out of velour upholstery, please call us and let us know. And and I love the fact that like Lebowski, the car almost becomes a character. It gets. First it gets dinged and then it gets more the car gets more and more, and more crushed until until the end. I have to I say, am. after finishing watching it, I did have an urge for fried, <laughs> fried ice cream. I, oh my god. Oh my god. Ice cream for Didn't know where I could find it. I guess Mexican. I had read that they they did film an ending with him getting back together again. With Maddie? Because, yeah, and then yeah, no, and they, they tried some sort of resolution and they, they didn't use it. No, but it's it lovely. She work. keeps appearing to him in dreams yeah. you know, and, and, and you know it feels real, but it's yeah, not. He can move on. He can do better. Yeah, and it, it's, <laughs> it's just... Well, it, the way that she left says a lot about her. Right. Yeah, well... And, and his friend, and, and, and the his, fact that she was a kleptomaniac. Right, and his friend <laughs> says, "You well, that's I love that little bit of deception <laughs> in, at the beginning when yeah. she's stealing stuff and he's following her, and you think he's yes. like the house detective oh, or something." And then, you know, and they walk outside together and he says, you'll be the death of me, Maddie. So, and I remember seeing it in Christmas 84 and it's, and you know, around Times Square and, you know, all the Did lights were up long? and everything. No. Because I, I, no. I, I was surprised I hadn't seen it. And then I saw that review, and I kept thinking it came and went. And, you know, if you see a Forsyth film, obviously see Local Hero if you haven't, or see it again, because it just ages very well. But then after Housekeeping, I mean, just disaster. He did Breaking In, the Burt Reynolds film with Casey Samasco, which was kind of like that sinking feeling, but bigger budget. And then even worse, the, the film that really ended his career was Being Human, the episodic film about uh, you know humanity through the years with Robin Williams and oh God yeah oh terrible thing, yeah. terrible yeah. unwatchable and the, it, since then he got funding to you know, locally back in Scotland to do a 
uh, a sequel to Gregory's Girl, Gregory's Two Girls. Um, and that's it. We haven't heard anything from him since 99. And I, I, I would like to think that in an alternative universe, there's a Hollywood that has a, a place for someone like Bill Forsyth. It would be nice. Yeah, yeah, it would be nice. So I really, and again, it is available for free, complete, nice print on YouTube. So check it out. Well, I'm glad you picked it, Josh, because I did enjoy it. And it's, I would never have apparently, watched it. Apparently, <laughs> it's, it's somewhat by choice that he did not stop making movies. Well, yeah, I, 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 I miss him. I mean, that sensibility, especially of, of Gregory's Girl and especially Local Hero in this one. Yeah, because the last two movies apparently were just not a good experience for Terrible. him. And he just, he just and, I and, guess, decided he just didn't want to do it anymore. And Housekeeping was a disaster. I, I think it's a very good film. I don't think it's worthy of the novel, but, you know, it's Marilyn Robinson. How can you do anything worthy of her? So, yeah, Comfort and Joy, Bill Forsyth, 1984. Check it out. It's the Dickie Bird Early Worm Show. Over to you, Michael, for okay, our, mine... the Broadly comic. <laughs> yes, this is Broadly comic, but um, it's Cold Turkey. It's 1971, directed by Norman Lear, the only theatrical movie he ever directed. But technically, I would not put him as a one-hit wonder. No. <laughs> not Norman Lear. Uh, it's screenplay. The original screenplay is by Norman Lear and uh, William Price Scott. But it was suggested by an unpublished novel by Margaret Rao. Hmm. And it was shot in 1969, but not released until 1971, because apparently United Artists was not happy with... Um, what, or they didn't want to piss off the cigarette companies? Or? No, I don't know if it was that, but they were not. It, the film went way over budget because it was shot entirely on location oh, yeah, in yeah. Iowa. And Eagle Rock. Eagle Rock, which does, town of 4006, which doesn't exist, but it, uh, there were three towns near um, Des Moines where it shot, and one was Greenfield, uh, Iowa. And uh, the premise is actually very simple. A, um, I love the premise. The cigarette company, the... Um, oh, the Valiant Tobacco. The Valiant Tobacco. The Valiant Tobacco Company, and we first see the Valiant Tobacco Company uh, the building uh, which houses its founder um, with a Confederate flag on top. <laughs> yes, lovely. Well, yeah, and the Sons of the Confederacy show up at the end. Yes. That was a little like, whoa. But anyway, a, a PR a man um, named Rand, played wonderfully by Bob Newhart, Bob Newhart. Uh, has this suggestion that uh, to have the uh, founder of the uh, cigarette company, uh, Mr. Grayson, to offer $25 million for any town that can stop smoking entirely for 30 days. 30 days, right. And that's basically the premise. And, of course, he says it'll, you'll be compared to Alfred Nobel, you know, who had ammunitions, and, but is known for the Nobel Peace Prize. After this, you'll be known for... Uh, and he says, don't worry, because no town, no, no one's going to be able to do this. Yeah. One town does, and it's the miserable town of Eagle Rock. Eagle Rock, Iowa. Uh, it's a population 4,006. Apparently, almost everybody in this town smokes. Yes. <laughs> it's 1969. Probably, probably yeah. the children, too. <laughs> and it's just uh, it, when one of their military bases has closed. Right. Because right. the town... And the um, the uh, military uh, attaché or the connection with uh, Washington has said, we would love to bring something back here, but you got to have first class schools, first class 
uh, becomes it becomes a cycle. The, 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 the place that the, they pull the military comes mm -hmm. out, and and because of that, people start leaving. The, the, not as many jobs, and then so like they don't want to get back because it's they're losing money. So it's exactly they need money. <laughs> so uh, the uh, Reverend uh, Clayton Brooks played very cleverly and very straight. And Mike against type, yeah. yeah. And he's, he, he's really good. He's he is really excellent good in, it. in it. They come across uh, on, on television. All of, all of the uh, <laughs> all of the broadcasters are played by Bob and Ray. Bob and Ray, yeah. Their only movie. And is that right? It's the only movie they Bob and made. Ray are just invaluable. And uh, actually, you check them on IMDb, they don't even say who they are. They just have Bob and Ray as actor. It's like somebody in IMDb, wake up. Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, there are references to Bob and Ray for those people, and I know uh, Josh and John don't care for this show, uh, but on Schitt's Creek, um, it's Bob, uh, Bob Elliott and Ray Goulding. Bob Elliott is the father of Chris Elliott, who has a major role, and there is um, references. Right, he's the mayor of the town. He's yeah. the mayor of, of uh, Schitt's Creek. Schitt's Creek. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I happen to love this show, so. But uh, there are uh, sly references to Bob and Ray within the show. So, uh, for those who watch Schitt's Creek but hasn't seen this movie, this is, will be your opportunity to see Bob and Ray playing Walter Cronkite and D Chet Huntley and David Brinkley. And from what I understand, they all loved it. Oh, that, uh, that's, yeah, that's good to hear. They all love being sent up like that. Because it was the first time. Walter Cronick. Cronick. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, he loved it. Anyway, so this Reverend... With the, the town uh, signs up, uh, the no smoking pledge, and there are some bumps because the, in, in getting them to all sign up, uh, one of them is, <laughs> is the town drunk, played by Tom Poston, <laughs> who also, Mr. Stopworth, who also happens to be the richest. Right. And he says he can't stop uh, smoking, but then when the, the, the Reverend uh, Brooks... What does he say? That the booze bow is connected to the yeah. bone? <laughs> which, it, which it is, apparently. Um, he just leaves town for three days. Right. And then there is my favorite character in the film, and my favorite performance in the film was Dr. Proctor, played by Bernard, 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 Bernard Hughes. Hughes. This yeah. is my first time I'd ever seen Bernard Hughes, although he apparently had a quite an extensive career on stage by then. But um, he plays Dr. Proctor... The town physician who cannot operate without a cigarette in his mouth. And then there's the Christopher Mott Society. Right. Which is, a.k.a. known as the John Birch Society. Exactly. None of their members smoke, but they don't want big government telling them what to do. So the Reverend arranges for them to become... Um, like policemen. Policemen, making sure that no cigarettes get into. They get to wear armbands. They get to wear armbands. <laughs> a dream fulfilled. Anyway, this, I think this is a marvelous satire. A lot of people don't like the ending. I'm not going to tell what the ending is. I hope people watch it. It's, um, oh, it's available on Prime. Yeah, it's on Amazon. Amazon yep. Prime. Uh, there are other wonderful people in this movie. Edward Everett Horton played uh, Hyman Grayson, and he died right after shooting. And it, by the time it was released... Uh, I like Pippa Scott. That's been a thankless he, part. He, she is a wonderful actress, and I yeah. looked her up, because I remember her from The Searchers, of course, right. and uh, as George C. Scott's girlfriend in Batulia. 
She's still alive. And, Is that right? And she and her husband founded Lorimar Pictures together. Oh. And she became a producer. And she was also produced documentaries, human rights documentaries. And she, uh, she's now 85. She occasionally does a TV movie. But uh, she was wonderful as uh, Van Dyke's rather put-upon wife who almost never speaks. Right. Tries to. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> we need to have a conversation. Vincent Gardenia plays the town's oh, yeah, mayor, yeah, yeah, who's yeah. also Woo. the town's barber. Right. And Gene Stapleton is his wife. Right. Lots of small screen heroes. Right. Yeah. Uh, Graham Jarvis plays the head of the Christopher Mart Society. Another one of my favorite character actors was Judith Lowry. And... Uh, People probably don't know her by name, but she was basically the go-to old lady of the 70s. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, she's the one who keeps going around saying, yeah. yeah. bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> she plays Odie Turner, a foul-mouthed, gun-toting member of the Christopher Mott Society. And she, didn't, she had a fascinating career. She didn't really come into her own until she was in her early 70s. She had parts in the Anderson tapes and uh, the effect of gamma rays and man in the moon marigolds. Well, we are early 70s land. Yeah. <laughs> and then she did a lot of TV until she died. She was a regular on uh, Phyllis with Cloris Leachman. Oh my goodness. And wow. uh, she's wonderful in this. She's the only one who swears in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. And she's always looking for communist. <laughs> And then there are other people who you will recognize who have small parts. I just want to mention their names. Helen Page Camp, M. Emmett Walsh, Paul Benedict, yes. Sudi Bond, and Barbara Kaysen. And they play small parts. But if you've ever watched any of Norman Lear's shows through the 70s, such as All in the Family, The Jeffersons, Maud, or Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, you'll see these people pop up. And it, the movie is just basically what happens when this town struggles to win, uh, to win the money, and I don't want to say the ending, tell the ending, it's a rather controversial ending because there were critics who didn't think the ending worked. All I'm saying is the big clock is always right. <laughs> uh, and everybody in it is wonderful. It still makes me laugh. And So, Ned, did you see it when it came out? Yes, I did. And, and was it must have felt pretty transgressive back then. Even Well, it, as they said, this is when smoking was... Finally, there were finally laws passing. That was the year. If it had been released right after, it would have been much more transgressive. But for some reason, United Artists sat on it for a year. Hmm. It, it cost a lot of money to make. They dumped it February 1971. Um, it was like Wonder Boys. They dumped it in a lot hmm. of theaters. I don't know why I saw it. I did see it, though. And I, it, it, good it, cast. I mean, it, my God. Good cast, but... Uh, and I assume no one had really heard of Norman Lear at the time. Well, he'd already been in a, had an Oscar nomination for um, a co-writing "Divorce American Style," oh, a movie I did not yeah, care for. Yeah, my favorite. But uh, <laughs> and, and 1971 was the year uh, the premiere of "All in the of Family." Of "All in the Family." In Actually, that. yeah, it was very early. It was almost the same time because I know by the time I saw it, I knew who Gene Stapleton was from Edith Bunker. Right. But it, it's very funny and. As a satire, it works, and I think it still works. I, it, I the satire on good. greed didn't work as well for me. What really caught my ear was the the big government thing. Someone yeah. comes out the hello big government goodbye America. 
mm-hmm. thing, you know, saying that that was 10 years before Reagan and, you know, yep. uh, look where we are now. Yep. And I think Lear was phenomenally prescient about, you know, this. these people would be would be wearing the MAGA hats. Oh, There's absolutely. There's no, no doubt about it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I love the premise. And I think I think some of it still works really well. I think some of it's a little broad. Some of it's some of it is definitely like a TV sketch stretched out kind of long. Yeah, okay. it, doesn't, it doesn't always work. Like the bit with Gene Stapleton coughing and sneezing. What I thought. Yeah, yeah I and thought there was a that, fart joke. I, I was, yeah, it was like this wasn't even funny the first time. Like you should have just cut this. Although out. she's very good in it. Oh yeah, yeah. I love Bernard Hughes in it. Oh God, oh. Yeah. he should have. Got an Oscar nomination. Yeah. He is just. I so think I would have liked to have seen brilliant. it directed by a better director. It's a little sloppy at times. Really? Yeah. I, I didn't have any problem. Yeah. With the but direction, although he only directed eight things. But you and, said that it went way over budget. Yeah. According because to the location shooting. Oh yeah, I'm not probably was. The and it was entirely those because it doesn't look like it because it looks like it was probably shot on a fairly low budget. Yeah, but it wasn't apparently, and I don't know if it was. Van Dyke asked for a lot of money, but it, it, the, who really is excellent? He is excellent, and happily, he just got uh, awarded the Kennedy Center honors last week. He's going to be one of the five. Is he what ninety-five? He's ninety-five. Yeah. He still works. He yeah. does a cabaret act. God bless him. He was great in uh, the Mary Poppins sequel. Where he did I his did, own dancing. I did not see it. Oh, it's on. It. Uh, I think it's on Netflix. It was. It was pretty good. I mean, it's not the original, but. I mean, it's very much of its time. It feels very much like a late 60s, early 70s. Yeah, but oh, yeah. I... Putney Swope kind of satire. Yeah, but I think yeah. it works. And I, I, I think people should give it a look. Uh, there's, there's so few movie satires. You know, Doctor Strangelove. True. Yep. What else? You know, there's just no, not too many. They're not easy to pull off. No. Right. What did uh, the dog George Kaufman say? Uh, satire dies on Saturday night or something like that. It it it's a requires a very steady hand. It's very hard to do, and you know I I struggle teaching it in my English classes because you know peop, my kids will read uh, a modest proposal by Swift and think, wait a minute, this guy's a monster. He's suggesting we kill Irish babies and eat them. It's like no no. <laughs> well, and that's the twenty percent of the audience who thought that Stephen Colbert's character on the Colbert Report was well, was, was real. real, yeah, and thought he was actually this conservative. <laughs> Blowhard. I mean, that's how good the satire was, is that people thought it was real. But as I said, Lear... Stephen versus Stephen. For me, Lear is like 50 years ahead of his time in terms oh, of this yeah. big government. And he's, small still, government and he's still working. He's, he's going to be 99 this, this July. He's still working? He still works. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, and having grown up on all of those shows right. that you mentioned, and Good Times, I have to throw Good well, Times yeah, in there. I like, it's kind of interesting, because if you watched... All in the family now. Unfortunately, a lot of the shows are still very relevant. Oh, very much so. Yeah, that's that's a little scary. All I right, know. and so, but it's a good it's a good sad segue into necrology time. So, Michael, who we have? Oh, uh, not too many. Happily. That's good. Mercifully short. Mercifully list short this time. Let's Excellent. start off with Norman Lloyd, hundred and six. Good lord, how is Norman Lloyd the man hanging from the Statue of Liberty in Saboteur? Right, and he was I'll, also in uh, Spellbound. I'll clear you. I'll clear you. And also in Spellbound, <laughs> which I forgot. He's one of the patients yeah. in Spellbound? That's right. Yeah. yeah. He was also in Renoir's The Southerner and uh, Charlie Chaplin's Limelight. 
and it came with uh, originally it was one of the founding people of Orson Welles's uh, Mercury, the Mercury Theater, Theater yeah. but did not appear in Citizen Kane. I forgot why. I think there's obituary since mentioned there was problems, but um, I don't know if it was between him and Wells. Uh, but he was blacklisted, but Hitchcock made him producer right. of the TV, of the TV show. show, which was, was ran for 10 years. Yeah. yeah. And he then was, he, uh, did he ever direct any of the episodes? I think so. That's what I thought. I think so. he directed three of them. And then he later returned to acting, most notably on TV, St. Elsewhere. Elsewhere. Sure. And then in the movies, Dead Poets Society, right. The Age of Innocence, In Her Shoes, and at age 100, Trainwreck. That's right. And a That's friend of right. mine was, was doing background work on set the day he was shooting and said you would never know this guy was 100. Amazing. And I think, and I, I tried to look up other elderly actors and actresses, I think he holds the record for having a feature role at age 100. I don't think anybody has been as yeah, a feature, at least in American films, a I, feature role. Yeah, I can't because it it's anyone. you know insurance. Right. <laughs> well, an important guy though yeah. in front of the, in front of the camera. And if you haven't seen Saboteur, see Saboteur for oh, the Statue absolutely. of Liberty. Yeah. he's so good as Fry. Yeah. He's yeah. so sneaky and evil. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and then there's Charles Grodin, and uh, he started off in small roles, uh, including Rosemary's Baby and Catch Twenty Two. But he became a star, a major star, with Elaine May's The Heartbreak Kid. Heartbreak I say kid. this, Elaine May's The Heartbreak Kid, not the sequel. Oh, oh the remake. The remake. I yeah, mean. oh God. Ugh. No, 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 no. <laughs> Unwatchable. And he also appeared in King Kong with Jessica Lang. Seems like old times. Uh, the Great Muppet Caper with his affair, uh, which was talked about for years with Miss Piggy. And uh, Beethoven, sorted something not kosher. Heaven can wait, <laughs> and my favorite Charles Grodin performance, Midnight Run. Oh, I didn't think you were going to say Beethoven. So I never saw Beethoven. <laughs> Midnight Run is great. Midnight, Midnight Run is a very under underrated yeah, film. Yeah. And uh, if anybody is able to read his autobiography, that was rather entertaining too. I cannot remember the name. I, I did read it. Well, because and he was always on talk shows. Talk shows. He had his right, own talk he, show, right? On, on CNBC. Very. Well, he was quite well known for going on the Carson Show and right. resisting to talk about anything. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, very, the the book was very very witty. I remember him talking about his first play. And it was a three-character play, and the stars were Anthony Quinn and Margaret Layton. And they both ignored him because they were having a torrid affair. And he had no idea. They, they wouldn't act with him, and the play, like, flopped. Huh. And I, I wish I had written, written down the name of the play, but uh, it was a very funny chapter. That's the thing I remember most about his autobiography. And then Olympia Takakis. Oh. Yep. And she... Won the Oscar for uh, Moonstruck. Your life is going down the toilet, Loretta. <laughs> and here's what's interesting about... Do you love him? <laughs> That's too bad. <laughs> here's what's interesting about Takakis is nobody ever really heard of her before Moonstruck. She right. wasn't even well-known yeah. in theater circles. Yeah. The only reason I had heard of her was because she was teaching at Herbert Berghoff Studios the same time John and I Ooh, went. And yeah. I remember seeing her name in the uh, faculty... Uh, Right. Listing. Uh, she'd only appeared in one Broadway play in a supporting role at oh, the time. Yeah, of I thought she was a stage. Uh, well she was, but not well known. Not well known. Just tiny parts. She'd been on a soap for maybe six months. 
She was more known for her theater company in New Jersey. And How did Jewison come to cast her then? Where did he find her? I, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's an, that, that, that must be a I, story. I think that there was a play the year before. Yeah, he had seen the play that she was in on Broadway, which was directed by Mike Nichols, called Social Security. Oh. Um, uh, the guy who wrote The Freshman wrote it. Uh, Andrew... Um, Andrew Bergman. Andrew Bergman. Bergman, that's yeah. right. And it, it was with Marlo Thomas and um, Ron Silver. And it ran a few months, and she definitely had a supporting role. She was very funny, and then she played Marlo Thomas's semi-senile mother. And um, I think I think uh, Jerusalem came to see the play and said, that's... Yeah. And after that, she did appear in other films, uh, Steel Magnolias, sure, which was her cool. other big hit. Yeah. Uh, Look Who's Talking, Away From Her. And uh, on television, she was known for Tales, um, Tales, Mom's... Uh, oh, the Armistead, but Tales of the City. Tales of the City, yes. yes. And her last film is called Not to Forget, which co-stars Cloris Leachman. Oh, there's so, that name again. all I can say is, for the other stars, Tatum O'Neill, Louis Gossett Jr., and George Shakaris, should maybe watch out. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so... Hmm. You know, it's just, uh, I also want, we, we had to really speed by the necrology last time. I want to say a little couple more things about George Siegel, who I think was a terribly underrated actor, uh, especially his comedies of the 1970s. Where's Papa? The Owl and the Pussycat, The Hot Rock, Bloom and Love, California Split, The Blackbirds, which John has found on it's YouTube. It's on YouTube, right? right? Yes. yes. Thank you, John. The Maltese Falcon. Please watch it. Um, uh, Fun with Dick and Jane. Right. Who are killing the great chefs of Europe. And one that I rec- I had, and I don't know why I had it, because I'm not crazy about the film, was A Touch of Class, which was one of, the, one of two rom-coms to be nominated for Best Picture of the 1970s, the other being The Goodbye Girl, another movie I don't care don't for. Don't like the panties hanging mm-hmm. on it. Yeah. <laughs> But in a touch, a touch of class, which was a huge hit, it was him and Glenda Jackson, and uh, it got nominated for best picture. She won her second Oscar as best actress, and he was totally overlooked. And as I was wa- as I was watching this movie, I thought, "You're the engine of this movie. You're the reason this movie succeeds as yeah. well as it does." Uh, yeah, I agree. Did he get any any uh, awards for uh, Virginia Woolf? He was nominated for an Oscar. Because he's wonderful. In oh yes. God, he is, exactly. and he was a second choice. It was they wanted uh, Redford. No, no, yeah, and Redford no. turned it down. <laughs> Good, well, which was which was smart. No, 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 no. Yeah, no. in the in the sixties, he did mostly dramas. King Rat, which was the movie, uh, the Brian Forbes movie that kind of made him famous. Ship of Fools, The Quiller Memorandum, uh, No Way to Treat a Lady, but then he kind of veered into comedies, and the reason he kind of lost his stardom, according. The obituary was he was originally cast in the lead role of Ten in Ten, Blake Edwards, and he dropped out and he broke his contract and Blake Edwards sued and won. And it turned out to be a bonehead move because that movie was a huge hit and made Dudley Moore into a star. Yeah. Did it say why he... It did not. Yeah, because I've looked up some things too and I can't really find anything as to exactly why thought I always thought that it was Edwards who fired him. But that's not the case. Not the case. And in every other movie he did in the 80s, movies I'd never heard of. I don't know if they got a release or... 
And then he ended up on TV. He was on the uh-huh. David Spade uh, Right, which I thought he was very funny. Just Shoot Me was that? Yes. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. He was yeah. very funny in that. And he was also, up until he died, in... Um, uh, the Goldbergs. The Goldbergs, which I, I, I only watched once. I just did yeah, not like it. Didn't, uh, no. Did not like that show. <laughs> not a fan. But uh, And he did other movies. He had a wonderful supporting uh, role in... Um, oh, where is it? Uh, Flirting with Disaster. Yeah. David O. Russell's film. Yes. Played yes. the stepfather. Him and Mary Tyler Moore, the yep. step parents from hell. Yes. That's right. Oh my God, boy. And I Mary mean... Tyler Moore uh, doing a parody of her rolling on their people. But he, but he had that run in the 70s. Oh my God. He was, I mean, yeah. he, he was really working a, a lot, lot. A lot. And, and doing good movies. Doing good and funny movies. Yeah, I mean, Where's Papa is oh my God. hilarious. Hilarious. Yes. Hilarious and really kind of different. And, and rather an underrated movie that he did with Redford is The Hot Rock. The Hot Rock, yeah. And I remember seeing fun with Dick, Dick and Jane when it came out. Oh, I yeah. Loved it, yeah. Much better than the remake. Oh, Why do they keep remaking great movies? You know, I, 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 Are you just suggesting there's a lack of originality in Hollywood? Shocking. I'm shocked. I can't wait for the Mel, <laughs> Mel uh, Gibson version of The Wild Bunch. It's, no. Yeah. No. Oh, you're killing me, man. I know. Just I know. <laughs> yep, so... He's playing the Jamie Sanchez part. <laughs> no. <laughs> I take it he's playing the William Holden I guarantee I you he's going to die in slow motion, though, because he does in all of his films. So. <laughs> I don't know. I won't see it, and I, I won't care. Yep. Uh, anyway, I did want to just bring up Joyce well, Siegel. Wait, again. is Gibson is Gibson directing it? I uh-huh. have. Oh. Apparently, the last movie he directed though was a big hit. Heart, uh, Heartbreak Ridge, which, uh, which was, I did not, which was actually really good. I yeah, heard it was. Well, I, I have not watched yeah. it. I've heard. I've heard it's very very it's good. It's really well done. I mean, he's a horror show of a human being, but I hated Braveheart. Hated that movie. It's become iconic, for better or worse. I mean, you know, he kind of lost me at Passion of the Christ. But... Which I hear... Is <laughs> they can take out the lives. Passion of the Christ, I hear, is very, very popular with two groups. Religious Catholics and gays who are in the S&M. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's a Pasolini moment if we've ever had one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But apparently, a, a lot of friends and friends. <laughs> the, gospel, the gospel according to Mel. <laughs> a lot of friends and friends of friends of mine who are gay uh, went to that movie really liking it. Wow, okay. Um, yeah. Woof. Missed Our, that one too. So it's good that we've got to spend a little more time on George Siegel, on the very underrated George Siegel, because he is a he is a hidden gem in some ways. And so to recap, our hidden gems were John chose Curtis Hansen's uh, film of Michael Chabon's uh, Wonder Boys with Michael Douglas, from which 2000. is easy to find. It's on Amazon. Easy to find. Um, I chose, uh, I went a little more obscure, Bill Forsyth's uh, follow-up to Local Hero, uh, Comfort and Joy, from 1984, available for free, complete, good print on YouTube, and just a lovely, sweet, and charming film. And Michael went for a satire that has, in terms of its satirical targets anyway, has 
substantial legs. Lear was very prescient, as I said, about a lot of things that show up in that movie. That's Cold Turkey from 1971. So there you go. Episode 30. Put it in the books. And I am really looking forward to a our... milestone. A millstone. Right? I'm really looking forward to our Baskin-Robbins 30 wonderful episode in June, where what we're going to do is talk about our favorite final films by great directors. And, you know, they kind of fall into two categories. There are occasionally the directors who knew it was going to be their last film. Uh, you, Although you said, I always thought that John Huston knew that The Dead was going to be his last film. You said he was planning something he else. He was involved in uh, Mr. North, but not as a director. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I mean, he was, he was filming um, uh, The Dead... Uh, in a wheelchair with oxygen, so right. So we kind of, right. Yeah. So you kind of. But know. he was involved in Mr. North. He was actually supposed to have played the Robert Mitchum role, and his I think his son wound up directing it. But I think that was already planned. But and then uh, he died before shooting or during the shoot. But it's it's fascinating that so many of our great directors, Ford and Hawks and Hitchcock, their final films, you know, turned out to be not so Billy, good. Billy Wilder. Oh, Billy Wilder was sad. Oh, and he lived another 21 years. Exactly, and never, you know. No. And we saw, episode six or seven it was, we saw Orson Welles' last film, oh finally. God, yeah. The Other Side of the of the Wind. And, sad. Right, uh, and you just wonder how these careers end this way. So we're going to be talking about that, our favorite final films by great directors. So, and Michael, as reported, has already been to the movies. I'm going when In the Heights premieres, so... Listen to Frances McDormand. Listen to Fern. She knows what she's talking about. Go to the movies. Um, pleased to say that now, ever and always, Vintage Sand is a five, uh, five nines and a four production. We want to thank Melissa for her tech help. Uh, Gabby for the cool logo. And remember that we are available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. Check out the website, www.vintagesand.com. Please leave us your feedback and suggesting suggestions. Last thing I'm going to say is, I'm going to say it, Underground Railroad. I don't know if you guys have started and have watched it. Uh, on uh, it, It's a flipping masterpiece. I, I will uh, no, huh? No. I haven't watched it yet. I'm oh. looking. I'm looking forward to start watching. Barry Jenkins. You heard it here first, folks. Barry Jenkins is going to be the first black director to win the Oscar for Best Director. He has such a phenomenal. I saw it in Moonlight. You saw it in Beale Street. And this is. Just, I mean, to uh, to adapt a novel like Underground Railroad seems impossible, and it would be impossible for a two-hour movie. But I'm I'm pacing myself. I've just seen the first two episodes, and they're extraordinary. In some senses, they're almost a slight improvement on the novel, and I think the novel is a, the a novel. masterpiece. So watch that. Um, be safe. And as ever, we fervently hope and pray that your favorite films may always be streamed.